so much for joining as we worship here, here today. The most powerful way that we can use our voice is to sing the truth about who the Lord is so that we know who we are and that we can have hope for the future. So why don't we sing together? as white as snow I believe in the power of the gospel still makes the broken whole I believe that the curse of sin was broken when they rolled away that stone I believe I believe I believe as I bow before you Lord I will rise in confidence I will see
Yeah, Father, we just declare your goodness here today. Wherever we are joining in from, God, you are good. And so we just focus in, in this time of worship, may it not be a moment of karaoke, but a moment where we spend time intentionally with you. And so God, if there is anything in our hearts or in our minds, or even physically in front of us that may distract us from that, pull us back to you today. We want to give you our full attention and our full devotion. More of you here, Lord. Make us aware of your spirit, aware of your presence. We worship you, God. together your cross your cross my freedom your stripes my healing all praise the king jesus glory to god in heaven your blood is still speaking your love is still reaching all praise the king jesus glory to god
on my heart to say that because God's sovereign, He can do stuff about the pain in the world. Because He took on flesh, stepped into our reality and empathised with our weakness, we can actually come to Him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares on God because He cares for you. And let me tell you, you will cast your cares on Him to the degree that you know that He can empathise with what you're going through. And I'm so grateful to God that we've got a King in heaven who stepped off His throne, as Philippians 2 would say, to take on flesh, to step into our world and get messy to save us. And so in that spirit, I want to encourage us, let's pray. Let's pray for our community this morning. Let's pray for the nation and let's pray for the world. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads and join me in prayer. Father God, we want to lift up the New Life family of churches today. Father, hearing about a God who stepped off the throne, took on flesh, bore our sins in his body on the tree and died to give us new life. Father, it makes me want to ask this. Would you make us a people who suffer well in this life? Thank you, God, that we've got a hope that exists beyond the grave and that we've got a life that you've given us by your spirit and in relationship with you that tempers every suffering that we go through. And so, Father, in this season and the next, would you make your people a people who suffer well, who stand in the face of death and fear and anxiety and trouble and say, I've got a God who's bigger, I've got a God who's greater, I've got a God who loves me no matter what. Would you make your people in our community people who know hope? Father, I want to pray for our nation today. And together, Lord, as a community, we just lament the fact that this week, New South Wales recorded its deadliest week because of the coronavirus. More than 220 people have lost their life this week. We mourn the way that COVID is running rampant in our nation and the world, Father. And we ask, God, that out of your mercy, you'd hear the cries of your people and that you, by your spirit, would bring your kingdom, restoring bodies, restoring lives and restoring livelihoods. Not so people can get on with their distracted lives, but God, rather that they might see you and worship the King. Lord, we think about the rest of the world at the moment. We think particularly of our brothers and sisters in Tonga, ravaged by a tsunami, the result of a volcano that no one was expecting. And Father, we ask that you'd be merciful there. We think of the aid that Australia is delivering as we speak, and we ask, Father, that it would make it safely and that people would be blessed by the resource that we as a country are able to provide. We ask, Father, for your church in that region, not to be people who hunker down and take care of their own kin, but rather in a costly way, sacrifice for the sake of others. And would people see your kingdom in an upside-down way, just infiltrating Tonga because of what your Spirit inspires in your people. Father, we thank you that you're sovereign and that you can do that which we ask you by prayer to do, but you're also near and you empathize with the plight that we experience ourselves in. So we just ask, would your kingdom come? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, it would be a real shame if the praying that happened this morning was simply done by me. We've actually got a moment right now to encounter something more powerfully than we would if we were actually gathered together in a room. And that's this, to gather as the scattered body of Jesus and pray the ancient prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. So in a minute, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. 
And can I encourage you, let this not just be my voice. If you're at home right now on the couch, maybe you want to stand. If you're in the kitchen, perhaps doing something while church is on in the background, maybe you want to just give your attention and your imagination to what we're about to do. I'm going to read, and we're not going to do call and response. We're simply going to read it in unison together. And as we do this, just imagine what this is like around the cities we gather in right now. There is people dotted around southeast Queensland, in St. George, and in the cities that aren't named by me, because I don't actually know them, all praying this ancient prayer that has been passed down through the church from generation to generation, praying the kingdom of God. And so let's pray together in one voice. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Another warm welcome to you this morning. Thanks for joining with us, gathering with us, and fellowshipping with God's people alongside each of us. If you're new here, a warm welcome to you. And we just want to provide a pathway with which you can connect with what God is doing at the New Life family of churches. Two ways. You'll see a link drop into the chat box at the Church Online website. Click that, follow the prompts, and you'll be able to connect with us. But on the screens right now, you'll see a QR code pop up. And if you follow that QR code to the form that says connect with us, you'll be able to fill that form in, let us know you're here, check in, and notify us basically of your existence so that way we can connect with you, join with you, fellowship with you, and partially care for you. Uh, And so follow those prompts now. We look forward to hearing from you really soon. How good. Well, we just wanted to take a moment now to thank you for your generosity and commitment to the vision and mission of New Life Church. We give not out of obligation, but out of recognition that our God is good, our God is faithful, and He is worthy. We are called to give our first and our best, which in turn reminds us that um, our God is God, <laughs> not money. And so if you, came wanting to, if you came to give today, what you can do is you can give through the link um, that will be popping up in the chat box or through church.nu forward slash giving. And one of the things that's true about us at New Life is that we are a vision-driven church. We don't think that we just go through routine and habit for the sake of it. We want to catch up everything we do in the larger vision that we think God has given us. And that vision is simply this, more people, more like Jesus. More people, more like Jesus. And in the month of February, knowing that this series is coming to an end, the sermon series, in the month of February, we want to, we want to take a whole month to catch up our imaginations in how everything we do as a church participates in unfolding this vision for the good of God and the glory of God. And so uh, we're going to spend an entire month, and we're going to call it Vision Month, and we're going to unpack through four sermons, four series, four weekends, how everything we do participates in seeing more people, more like Jesus. And I've got to tell you, I'm really excited. And so put this on your radar. You don't want to miss it. Uh, Gather with us from the beginning of February. We'll be joining together, unpacking the vision of New Life Church. Yeah, I am so excited. Because also happening in February, it's just a good month, really. Also happening in February, we are starting Alpha. And Alpha is perfect for anyone wanting to ask the big questions of life in a really safe environment surrounded by like-minded individuals. 
It's designed for people who are new to church, who are new to faith, maybe who have never been to church before, or who are just exploring faith and wanting to go a bit deeper. And if you're watching right now and that's not you, can I encourage you to be thinking and praying through who you could be inviting to Alpha? Because I can almost guarantee that there is someone in your world that would benefit from coming to Alpha. And so, and, and also, this is even cooler thing, because it's online, what it means is you don't have to just invite someone from your city. You don't have to just invite someone from your state even or this country. What the coolest thing is, is that last Alpha, we actually saw people join from all around the world. And so if you're wanting to join Alpha, you can do so during, through the link church.nu forward slash Alpha. And that's also the link that you can forward on to the people that you're wanting to invite. But what we're going to do now is we're actually going to watch a video that will explain more about the purpose and the mission of Alpha. It all starts with an invite. Last year, 2.5 million people around the world tried Alpha. Each one with a different, unique story about how they got there. I was invited by a friend. The girl I work with. My brother. A guy on my football team. My hairdresser. My mum. My housemate. My barber. My mate from school. Personal journeys just like mine begin because people all around the globe invite their friends and family to try Alpha. It all starts with an invite. It all starts with an invite. It all starts with an invite. Who will you invite? We're going to take a moment now to read the word. So it comes from Acts 17, um, verse 10 to 15. Would you read with me? As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were one of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, Um, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. This is the word of the Lord. Much Courtney for leading us in the Word. Thank you for joining us today at New Life Online. My name is Pastor Michael Hands. I'm so excited that you can be with us. You know, for some of you, joining online is a new experience, but there's a community that has been doing online for a while now. And we just want to say thank you for inviting us into that space as we join you in community during this weird time of Omicron. You know, I want to give you two quick updates as uh, the pastor of this church, just to kind of let you know what we're doing. Our hope is in the next two weeks that we will be able to resume some kind of physical gatherings across our locations in varying capacities. So stay tuned as we let you know what this is going to look like. Some of you might be thinking, I'm, I'm probably just want to stay online for a little. That is more than fine. A whole bunch of our community online have been doing that for the last six months and have been thriving. We'd love to invite you to be there. And stay tuned for those of you who want to gather physically for what that will look like as we move forward. Secondly, as we move into one of my favorite times of the year, which is Vision Month, 
we want to spend some time waiting upon God together. And so in the next two weeks, we're going to call our church to a time of fasting and prayer. And I'd love to let you know what that looks like. We're going to go for about seven days. We'll release resources around this. We'll let you know how you can take part. Fasting is ultimately taking a step back from something in this world, usually food, that we might take a step into what God has for us. I'd love you to be prayerfully considering how you might join us in this time. But I get to preach the Word of God today, our last installment of the Rhythm Series. And as we do that, would you join with me as I pray? Let's pray together. Gracious God, wherever we are around Australia, wherever we are around the world, wherever we are around Brisbane, Rabina, and Coolangatta right now, I pray that your presence would be known to us. That we would pause. I would stop and just recognize that you are speaking in this moment. I pray that tabs would close. Other screens would shut down. We'd shut books and we'd just wait and dwell and say, God, what are you wanting to do right now? Speak to us. Speak through me. For I cannot do this alone. Less of me, more of you, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can type that in the chat. We've got people yelling amen at me in the room, which is amazing. Friends, I don't know if you know this, but a quick confession from myself is I am a nerd. Now, some of you might be sitting there going, yep, that's pretty clear. We got it from looking at you and you've never even met me. But I'm a, I'm a self-professed nerd. Since I was a young kid, I used to, I loved reading. I spent most of my weekends not playing sport because my hand-eye coordination sucks, but actually in libraries. I loved reading. And in fact, even today, reading is my escape. Some people go to the movies, some people go to the beach. I love a chair by myself and reading. But those of you who have young children know how hard it is to find those spaces. I say this because I didn't know that the luxury of reading is a modern thing. The luxury of reading is a modern thing. Some of you are like, yeah, I hate reading. Take me back to the day where they didn't test you for it in year nine on that plan. But 500 years ago, I'm not sure if you're aware, only 10% of the Western world was literate. Only 10% of the Western world was able to read. It wasn't a priority because it was the religious elite or the ruling class that were deemed worthy enough to be able to read and everyone else was kind of thought that it didn't matter. They didn't need to understand or to be literate until 1517. Now I talked about this last year. But in 1517, a man named Martin Luther posted 95 theses to a door of a church declaring that this book, this collection of writings, the Word of God was to be read by all people. Before this moment, not all people had access to the Word of God and not many people could even read the Word of God. Now what changed in in kind of like a couple of centuries is it went from being 10% of the Western world able to read to now today, where we literally go to schools based on their ability to teach our children how to read. It's flipped. How did we go from not many people knowing how to read to now it being a factor by which we judge the success of our society? Well, friends, what happened was the Reformation. And the Protestants who believed that the Word of God and the Bible of God wasn't just meant to be read by select few, but by all, they started to recognize that for anyone to read the Bible, they first needed to know how to read. And so, for instance, in the 16th century, a guy named John Knox, a Scottish theologian, petitioned the government saying, we need to make public schooling free for all peoples. Why? 
so that children might be able to read the Word of God for themselves. Friends, you could argue historically, and I'm going to make a bold claim, feel free to tell me I'm wrong in the chat, but that there is actually an argument that maybe public schooling itself, free education itself, was instigated and catalyzed by people wanting all people to be able to read and understand the Word of God. Isn't that beautiful? And yet here we are today. You can find a Bible in most top drawers of most hotel rooms, thanks to Gideon. I have four or five Bibles gathering dust in my house, but not many people read the Word. We read Harry Potter. We read the news. We are a literate generation. Many people know how to read. Some of you are like, I hate reading, but you can still access the skill. I want to ask you a basic question today, knowing this, knowing why we now have literacy, which is more people can read than can't. What place does the Bible have in your life? What rhythm do you have of reading the Bible this year? In fact, let me, let me take a step further. What authority do you give Scripture in your world? A Hindu philosopher and social activist that we all know by the name of Gandhi says this, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet, but you treat it as nothing more than a piece of literature to gather dust. And this is a man who didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God, didn't even believe in the Word of God, he knew its power. And so I ask you today, why is it, what is the barrier, what are the obstacles from you accessing and processing the Word of God? And if I'm honest, I think I know, right? I mean, quick hand up if you think that the Bible is boring, just wherever you are, in whatever room you're in, if, if you found the Bible boring at some stage, my hand's up, because I've got to be honest, I have in the past. Hands up if you found the Bible difficult. I've got pastors in the room putting their hands up. I'm questioning whether or not that we should be paying them anymore. Hey, hands up if you've struggled to understand concepts or ideas or, or these processes. And, and I would say that's most of our stories, right? But what ends up happening is that when we find this word, this collection of writings difficult, we run from it rather than going, hey, how can I go deeper into it? That's why last year we spent the year reading the Word of God together. Hundreds of people over the life of New Life Family dedicated a year to read through the Word of God. Now, I know some of you started that journey and you were a month in and you're like, okay, this is pretty intense. I don't know how I'm going. Some of you finished it, which is great. And some of you, you're kind of still in the middle of the Psalms, which is fine. But we heard feedback. There was one guy that wrote in saying, as I was reading through Second Chronicles, the story of Jehoshaphat, I was reminded of the beauty of God's grace and gentleness and patience with us. Another lady wrote in, she said, you know what, I didn't complete the Bible study, but I'm so thankful because even when I did read, I was reminded of the grace and goodness of God. And still yet another person said, creating that daily rhythm reminded me of the intimate, beautiful relationship God wants to share with me. What we saw last year was people sit under the authority of Scripture and their lives were changed because of it. But there are a bunch of other people, including me, maybe us all, that there were these moments when we were reading the Bible, or maybe you have read the Bible, maybe you're a new Christian or new to faith or church today, and you've, you've tried to read the Word, and you read a part where you're like, this is just weird. Or you read another part, and you're like, this is plain offensive. Like, do we know what is being said right now? Sometimes we can read the Bible, and it's like, man, I have more questions than I do answers. I'm more confused, or this is what I used to go to sleep at night. How am I meant to understand this thing? And these are such good questions for us, friends. And that's where we want to land. Because in Acts chapter 17, we see a hint, we see a, a moment where we can actually be welcomed into a daily rhythm 
celebrated by the Berean Jews, that doesn't mean the Bible is just words on a paper, but the source of life and truth and the authority in our world. If you have a phone or a Bible, why don't you open to Acts chapter 17 with me right now? I'd love you to read along with me. It's not going to be on the screen. So I'd love you to open that so you can read what I read. What happens in Acts chapter 17 is there's a guy named Paul. And Paul is an apostle. He wrote about three quarters of what we call the New Testament or kind of the second section of the Bible. And Paul's just come from Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, he's preached the gospel and it hasn't gone well. A bunch of Jews get angry. They start to fight him. There's violence, there's oppression, there's a riot. It gets pretty wild. And so Paul flees to Berea. And in Berea, we read in Acts chapter 17, he does the exact same thing. Paul hops up and he begins to preach about God again. Now the Bereans react differently to the Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians. It's actually, I said it right the second time. The first time isn't a word. Please never say that again in, in public society. In Acts chapter 17, we read how the Thessalonians, sorry, the Bereans process what Paul does. It says this, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character, in verse 11, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed. You know, Paul came preaching a pretty controversial message. To the Jewish believer, what he was saying wasn't easy to hear. He was saying the person that you wanted, the person that our faith, our, our culture has been waiting for for hundreds of years has come in Jesus Christ. And what did we do with him? We killed him. But he didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the dead. He's the son of God. He's come to forgive you of your sins, offer you repentance, discipleship of a new way. And to the Jews, this would have been offensive. This would have been challenging. This would have confronted their culture. Now we juxtapose how the Thessalonians respond to what Paul's saying, how the Bereans respond to what Paul's saying. The Thessalonians argue with Paul. They respond with violence, but the Bereans respond differently. How do they respond? Well, do they just believe what Paul said because he's got a microphone and a platform? Do they just believe what Paul said because he's the pastor, quote unquote, of his day and he said it, so it must be true. No, no, no. What does the Bible tell us? It says that the Bereans heard it and they welcomed it with gladness and they went and they examined the scriptures for themselves. What do you do when a preacher, a pastor, a Christian, or even someone in your world says something that confronts your worldview? says something that confronts your cultural assumptions. Can I be honest? I reckon most of us respond like the Thessalonians. We get angry. We get uncomfortable. We don't like it. We're like, hang on, wait, wait, wait. That's not what I think or believe. But what the rhythm of Bible study invites us into is that there is a way and a means by which God has given us that when people speak in a way which confronts maybe previously held assumptions, God says, hey, come and study the word for yourself so that you, like the Bereans, can work out what to believe and what to know. Friends, there are people here today who you've been reading the Bible, you've been a part of Christianity, or maybe you've come into knowledge or, or, or interaction with Christians, and things just haven't sat well with you. Maybe about how you've heard women spoken about. Maybe you've not enjoyed necessarily how the church talks about sex or money or, or a certain topic or issue. And what we usually do is we go, I just don't agree, and we walk away. But there's an invitation that we, friends, because of the power of what happened at the Reformation, can have access to know and understand for ourselves. See, there are three kind of ways that you can read the Bible. When we were processing this as pastors, thinking about how we're going to preach, you know, Pastor Alex was like, okay, there's three dominant ways that people read the Bible. The first one is Bible meditation. 
And this is the process. To meditate means to chew. I remember when Pastor Stu Cameron used to preach this, he used to, he used to actually physically chew with his mouth. Be like, you chew on the word when you meditate. I still have that cognitively in my mind watching him mm, on platform. It's still there. And there's, this, and, and there's this moment where to meditate means to chew over. You, you think through John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. The second way is Bible devotion, where is where you rhythmically read the Bible every day, like we did last year. Asking God, what are you saying to me today from the scriptures and applying it to your life? The third way is Bible study, which is the process of wrestling and examining difficult texts and themes in the Bible to understand them better for our purpose of our discipleship and relationship to Christ. And here's the problem. Most people think Bible study is the result or, or the responsibility of pastors or academics or scholars. But we here at New Life believe that all three of these means of reading the Bible are rhythms that all Christians are welcomed into. That all three of them are practices that should be found in the daily rhythm of believers. Charles Holmes says this, many of the reformers died at the hands of corrupt religious leaders and systems that sought to silence the voice of common people like you and I and limit their ability to read and learn the scriptures for themselves. When you think of the word scripture, what do you think of? You know, most of the time people think of like a dusty old tome like this that's kind of massive and feels laborious to open. And like, man, I just don't have time for that. But when you think of the Bereans reading the scriptures, what comes to mind? Let's just start there. When we talk about Bible study, what are we actually talking about the Bereans did? You see, when we think of the Bereans studying scripture, they didn't study the Bible as we know it today. The Bereans actually studied what we would call the Old Testament or the Jews would call the Tanakh. And the reason why I say this is that so many Christians in, in my world say this, oh, I just can't read the Old Testament. It just doesn't seem to be relevant. I like the Jesus stuff. And I just challenge that with this. Do you know these scriptures that Paul used to preach the truth of Jesus was just the Old Testament? The, the, the scriptures that Paul used to explain the reality of Christ were the very scriptures that so many of us struggle with and, and overpass. Because these were the scriptures that of the Jewish faith that Paul said, these point to Jesus. When we talk about the Bible, we don't talk about just the scriptures that the Bereans were reading. The first section of our Bible is the Old Testament, a collection of laws, prophecies, poems, and histories that, like, that we are invited to read, to study, and to understand. But we also talk about the second part of the Bible, which is the New Testament. And the New Testament is a collection of the four biographies of Jesus Christ, the histories of the book of Acts, the epistles, letters to the churches, and this book of Revelation, which can be a little weird if you read it late at night. And there's this sense that these whole books were compounded together and what we call is canonized to be the scriptures that Christians read today that we can sit under the authority of. Now, I'd love to talk about the historical validity of this. I'd love to talk about how we know that. I preached a message on this last year, which you can go listen to, about how the Bible was formed and why we can trust its historical reliability. There's this great scene, though, in the, in the movie Notting Hill. I don't know if you've seen Notting Hill, but I showed my wife it uh, recently, and uh, we loved it. But there's this great scene where this weird guy named Spike comes down the stairs eating this creamy paste. And he says to Hugh Grant's character, he says, man, this yogurt tastes really off. Hugh Grant turns around and goes, that's not yogurt, that's mayonnaise, right? And then he takes another spoonful, eats it. He's like, oh, in that case, it tastes perfect like mayonnaise and keeps eating it. It's a really funny scene. And I raise it because I think some of the way that's why we struggle with the Bible. We open the Bible and we're like, man, this is a really, really sucky narrative. It's not that interesting. It's not as exciting as Lord of the Rings. Or, and it's because we're, we're reading it through the wrong lens. 
It wasn't meant to be John Grisham's latest thriller that we pick off the, the shelf and we find a page turner. It is a collection of writings and books that contain the truth of God for the people of God. Practically, the Bible is a collection of stories, histories, poems, wise sayings, instructional letters and biographies written by poets, shepherds and kings that took 1,500 years with about 40 different writers, most of whom did not meet each other, but yet when read together, weave a consistent narrative as well as a consistent depiction of who God is. At New Life, we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, Spirit-breathed and man-ridden through which we understand the character of God, the story of God, the will of God, and the purpose of humanity. Friends, I want to ask you this question today. What place does the Bible have in your world? What place does the authority of Scripture have in your life? Because too often I find that Christians come under the authority of culture and they choose the parts of the Bible that support the culture they've chosen to adopt to. This is the problem of the Thessalonians. But as Christians, we're called not for culture to come over the top of Scripture, but for the authority of Scripture to come over the life of the Christian. It should not be optional for us to know what the Bible says, but a rhythm and a rule for the Christian life and the way we are called to live and breathe. So what does it mean for us to actually study this? You know, studying the Bible isn't necessarily reading it devotionally. And I want to invite you that actually those parts of Scripture you find difficult, those parts of the Word of God that you find hard, they're invitations to God to understand more and go deeper. So as I finish today, what I'd love to do is just let you know how I study the Bible. As a pastor preaching every week, the role of what to preach is to first study before I preach. And, and it's actually quite simple, but it takes time. When I come across a passage of Scripture that I struggle with, I ask questions of it. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, where I was reading when I prepared to preach last week, uh, last year on marriage, which is a really hard subject to preach on. And when I read Ephesians 5, it was this like hierarchy and power struggle between men and women. I was like, God, how do I preach this well? So I was reading Ephesians chapter 5, and the first question I ask is, who wrote Ephesians chapter 5? And I found out that the Bible has not got the authorship of God on the spine. The Bible has different authors. And the author of Ephesians chapter 5 is actually a man named Paul. Inspired by the Spirit of God in a Roman prison, he writes to the church in Ephesus. Why is this important? Because I need to know who Paul was and why he was writing to understand what he was originally trying to say. The second question I ask after I've asked who was the author is this, what is the context or who was it written to? See, the, the thing we have to remember about the Bible is that the Bible is written in a time so far removed from where we are. You are never more further removed from the context of biblical writing than you are today. So to understand ancient Jerusalem, we have to spend time knowing its context and understanding what happened in the, in the city of Ephesus. Why was Paul writing about marriage? And what can we learn from this city and time? If after we've asked what, who the author is, what is the context? The third question would be simply this. What is the literary style that Paul is writing in? You know, I read newspapers very differently than I read Robert Frost's latest poem, which he's passed away now, so he's not writing poems anymore. But it, there's a sense that you'd read them differently. So too, when I read the book of Genesis, the book of Psalms, and the book of Ephesians, they are very different styles of writing. And so I interact with them differently as well. Understanding why they were written and how they were written helps me understand how to interpret the text. And I move from this moment and ask a really critical and important question. Who was the original audience that this was written to? Friends, this is something we get confused all the time. The Bible wasn't written to you. Let me say this again. The Bible wasn't written to you. It was written for you. There's a difference. The Bible wasn't written to you. It was written for you. Before you can understand how it is for you, you must first understand who it was written to and why.
And the final question I come to understand when I wrestled with Ephesians chapter 5 on marriage, I was writing a sermon is, what have other great thinkers and theologians written and understood of this text? Like never before in history, we have access to theological resources and online YouTube videos that can unpack texts for us that should remove the excuse of, I don't understand. Now, some of these are dangerous, but some of these are really helpful. And this is why we should never read the Bible in isolation, but in community. Asking people, hey, what is helpful for me? What is a good thing? And you might be led to books like How to Read the Bible, book by book. You might be led to The Bible Project, which is a fantastic internet resource to unpacking biblical scripture. You might be led to good Bible commentaries like The Bible Speaks Today or New International Commentary. These are good resources for us to unpack scripture. And here's why. Because friends, some of us have been asking the question of how do I understand sex? How do I understand money? How do I understand all these different things? And invitation is not wait for Sunday, it's open the word. It's go deeper. It's find for yourself. Because I remember the moment when I found out this truth. I was a young boy and I stumbled into my dad's study and I opened up this, this, these pages that he was writing on and at the top it said, why should we give money to the church? And I was like, I didn't know we should give money to the church. And I, I thought this was a really interesting question. And I read this document my dad had put together where he was wrestling with what does God actually say about finances? Not what did the pastor say, not what did the church say, but what does the word say? And dad had compiled all these scriptures and all these thinking and he'd written extensively. And the reason why was this, is my father, I believe, wanted to make sure that how he managed the money in his life was not defined by culture, either Christian culture or the world's culture. It was defined by the authority of God and the flourishing of his world. And that changed how I read the Bible. I saw that as an invitation for God to wrestle deeply, to actually understand further. Friends, some of you have walked away from questions you have. And I just want to say this, those questions are invitations to deeper relationship and deeper knowledge. Like never before today, we are called under the authority of Scripture that you and I might be shaped like the Bereans were who came to believe because in 2 Timothy, it says the Scripture makes us wise unto salvation. Friends, some of you have grown cold and I think it's because we have lost the ability and art of reading and studying the Word of God. What place does the Bible have in your life? What authority does Scripture have over your world? Because as I finish today, I finish with this thought, as I've read the Bible and studied it, I've recognized that it has illuminated to me one of the greatest truths of all time, that I am living a story that I'm not called to be the hero of. As I've read and studied the Word of God, I've come to understand that I am not called to be my own Savior. That as I read through the story of David and Goliath, I'm not called to be David. I'm not called to be Joshua at the foot of Jericho. I'm called to interact with the same God who interacted with those men and women of God throughout the Bible. So the biggest blessing I felt from reading and studying the Word of God is the permission from God not to be the hero of the story because there is a hero of our story. There is a greater person that the Bible points to and points to and declares the hope of. Friends, you are not the hero of your story. At best, you're a bumbling sidekick. At worst, you're more often than not the villain. That we make mistakes and we stuff up, but the beauty of studying the Word of God is I find what the Bereans found, that the truth and the reality, the hero of the story is a man named Jesus. And as I study, I fall deeper in love, finding out that for thousands of years, he's been weaving the story of humanity into the story of God. And he's doing the same with me today. A guy named D.L. Moody said this, the object of the Bible is not to tell how good men are, but how bad men might become good again. 
That's the invitation of the Word of God. The amount of people who I've seen and read and met who have opened up the Bible and studied the words of Jesus and have then turned to follow Him and declare His reign and rule over their life. And the invitation is the same for you today. Who's the hero of your story? Who's the authority over your life? That we read the Bible to discover the finished work of Jesus Christ and rest in it, in that beauty, as an invitation to become more like Him. Friends, may you join us. May you delve deeper. And may we be a people of the book as we are people formed by the Spirit who inspired the very book that we read. Would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, I thank you so much that you're a good and mighty King. You did not want us to bumble around and not understand how to navigate the world, but you gifted to us the Word of God that we might be the people of God. But Lord, it's not easy. It's not easy to read and understand. It's not easy to unpack. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, prompt us, give us the courage to not run away from the questions we have, but to allow those questions to spring us deeper into relationship with you. Oh God, I pray for those people who do not know you today and the Bible seems like nothing but a dusty tome that would bore us to death. Holy Spirit, I pray may the words of Scripture beckon Jesus Christ, may you illuminate yourself through the Gospels, through the Old Testament, through the workings and writings of the apostles, that people would come to know you afresh today. And in fact, if you want to respond to Jesus, if you want to actually say, I need to know the hero of this story, right now there's a life prayer button that you can click. There is people on the host chat that would love to speak with you. But right now, wherever you are, the Holy Spirit wants to meet with you and wants to say, hey, I've called you to a better life and a better story. I've called you into my story. So Jesus, for those responding in this moment, I pray, give us the courage to not run from our questions, but to step into them, to explore them, and to chase you ever further into the words of Scripture. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as we finish gathering today, we're actually going to pause for a moment and, and, and sing and worship together. And as this song does sing and, 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 and sung over us, I encourage you to join in as we declare the beautiful name of Jesus, the hero of creation and our story. Let's worship God.
Well, hello, friends. My name is David Scambri. I get the joy of uh, being in our Call and Gather team, doing the communities coordinator there, um, which means I look after small groups and, and, and the community, kind of welcoming people. And I get, I'm really excited this morning to be able to unpack some of the meat and some of the uh, just great content from that sermon. It's such a practical uh, call to read the Bible daily. Well, welcome, David. It's exciting to have you with us. Question that I have for you this morning when you popped on socks today. What were you thinking was a good decision? Were you thinking like you just exposed the world to your ankles or like what was your thoughts there? Yeah, wow. Um, that's a great starting question. Thank you for asking it. Um, not all socks were made equal. Uh, some are actually secretive. So. I didn't know how many people actually look at like the socks that we're wearing. I had like some young girls be like, what cool socks is he wearing today? Oh, people can't hear me. Can you hear me now? I think they can hear me now. I asked David what socks he was wearing which uh, he then said that he wasn't wearing any and he wished that he'd made a better decision than that because it's really chilly down there, down the bottom. 
So, David, we're going to unpack a little bit of the sermon today. Sorry, man. I just wanted to get you to feel a little bit more relaxed and, and at home up here as we're joining people online. And a couple of questions I have for you, David, is we're talking about reading the Word of God. Now, you've been in ministry for a little bit at Coolangatta now, but you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. Have you ever struggled or found the Bible difficult, boring, confusing? Like, are you like one of these weird people like, man, it's always been exciting for me? What's that look like for you? Um, definitely not. Um, the scriptures are probably one of the hardest rhythms to get into in a follow. I've struggled with every part of that Bible, uh, walking through it, e- even just from the practical perspective of getting up in the morning and saying, this is worth doing. Um, like you wake up in the morning, you think to yourself, man, I would like 10 more, 10 more minutes extra sleep. Or um, it's, that, it's that kind of question. Is this worth it? Is this That's worth a good my question. time? I've felt that before. Is it just the physical realities that you find difficult to read your Bible? Is there anything else? I, I, I would definitely argue something pretty simple. Um, you, I, I never quite noticed how sinful I am. I, like, I never quite noticed how deep and uh, the by nature sin until I want to do something spiritual, like pray or read the Bible. And without any kind of academic reasoning or without any kind of deep thought to it, there's just this spiritual sense that says, it's not worth it. Don't do it. Don't engage. Ugh. You know, and so like, like, like I would definitely say there is, I, I justify that with really uh, bad excuses, like I don't have time yeah. or is this going to be helpful? But I think there's a deeper reality where my soul is actually uneasy with reading scripture. It's interesting you say you don't have time then. Like some of the heroes of the faith that I've been listening to in this rhythm series especially has said, uh, if your rhythm doesn't have time for the word of God, then you probably need to look at how much stuff you're doing and cut some stuff back, turn off Netflix a little bit earlier. I agree with you. I think it's a spiritual warfare thing. I've never found cleaning my room more interesting than when I've actually decided I'm going to go read the Bible. It's like suddenly unpacking the dishwasher seems exciting. Um, and I, I think it's because one of the things the enemy wants to do is actually attack and separate our intimacy with God and, and our understanding of God. And, and I, I don't think we talk enough about how these rhythms are actually a form of our spiritual warfare, choosing how we're going to be formed. Have you ever, is there been anything, like we talked a lot today about how sometimes people read the Word of God and there are things that they struggle with. Have there been things in the Word of God that you're like, man, I'm still unpacking this or I've not enjoyed this moment? Um, what, what's that been for you? Well, yeah, like I said before, I think every part of the Bible has been a struggle. My inclination is to, um, and you said it before, uh, like the Bereans weren't reading the New Testament, they were reading the Old Testament. Um, my inclination has always been to read the New Testament because the New Testament makes sense. It's simple. It, it's to the point. It's talking about Jesus. Like I find that easy. Um, and yeah, so, I know a lot of genealogies in the New Testament, right? Oh, <laughs> you can skip <laughs> past Luke and Matthew and then with that. Yeah, like, um, but then you get to the Old Testament and you give that a read and, and, and you hit these uh, uncomfortable, repetitive, difficult narratives of, of, of bloodshed, of, of just confusing kind of rhetoric. You get to uh, the prophetic literature, which is probably the one I struggle with most. And uh, I was so grateful for the Becoming series last year because I got the opportunity to actually read through the prof- like the prophets, which are books I had avoided largely. And this year I've really committed to reading them more because I need to. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think for me, there's probably a bunch of people who find that stuff. I remember when we were reading through the Bible, they'd read through the, a lot of the violence in Genesis or Exodus, and people would go, I, I really don't like this. And actually, it's really important to identify when we have those reactions, because what that's actually saying, well, okay, what does it mean to understand it, though? Yeah, I don't think God ever calls us to like stuff like violence or things that are uncomfortable, like female oppression or, or patriarchy or things like that. But how do we understand their place in the biblical narrative, which I think is really important? And I, I think it's the stuff that you're saying. 
Uh, and uh, one of the things that you and I were talking about just off platform, I said something as we were talking um, about you can read Jesus in the Old Testament. You've, you've heard this a lot by preachers. Is that right, David? Oh, it's, it's very normal. And it was actually what I wanted to come to you with because you, when, when you said that, uh, the Bereans were searching the scriptures for Jesus. But like I, I've read the Old Testament and the name Jesus doesn't seem to come up too many times. And so like I, I found myself, uh, and because I've heard it, like um, Timothy Keller has a book called Preaching and the first half of the book is literally find Jesus, find Jesus, find Jesus. doesn't matter what you're preaching, Jesus is in there. Um, but what a great statement, but how? Yeah, there's some really tough stuff in the Old Testament. that, And I think the one thing you've got to recognize is Jesus isn't behind every bush in every story of, of the Old Testament. Sometimes people read too much uh, uh, into the Old Testament and be like, and that's a symbol for Christ. When it's like, no, I think that was just a donkey um, in that story. And, and, and that's, that's, that's important to note because we can over-realize um, what we call our Christology or our study of Christ through the Old Testament. But when you recognize that the, the whole body of the Bible, the Bible Project says like this, it's a unifying story leading us to Jesus Christ. And, and we recognize that the Old Testament, Jesus is, is the Alpha and the Omega. He was present and at work there. But the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament narratives point to his reality, point to the need for a Savior, point to the hope of someone that could fulfill what God wanted better than we could. And so it's not about going, okay, every single word of the Bible is like a different symbol for Jesus. But the question is how has the Word of God, the person of God, and the Son of God been active and being pointed to in the narratives and the prophecies of the Old Testament? And, and what I think on that is that um, like there's so much duality in Scripture. Like you'll see in the Minor Prophets, for instance, they, they talk about the day that Israel will be restored because uh, a whole season of the Bible, they, get, they, get, they lose their promised land and, and, and you know, there's this judgment coming. And then a day where they will be restored. And that day happens, but it also hasn't happened. Yeah. And so there's like this, as we read scripture, we do find Christ almost as a layer deeper beyond what is, what is apparent at first when you first read it. So David, as, as we wrap up today, my, my last question for you would be this. Uh, someone's watching this now and they're like, man, I don't even want to read the Bible. Like this is pretty rough. Or they're new to faith or they're a new Christian. Like if someone's starting off, like how would you encourage them in their study of the Word of God? Yeah, that's good. Um, look, my first thought would be this. Don't read it on your own. The, the Bible has, like you said, people aren't even reading the Bible because they couldn't read for how long. In, like, it's not actually been the historical norm for us to have access to a Bible on our own and to read. Um, first and foremost, get a community. Get a small group. Get a collection of people uh, that you meet with regularly to read Scripture and examine it. Be challenged by it. Uh, I would say another thing on top of that is uh, pray. Uh, something I heard once, which I thought was really cool, is, is the Scripture is the only book you read where the author of that book is with you when you read it. Ask him his thoughts. What was he writing? Let, let him lead the conversation and leave your biases aside. And, and then the only other thing is just actually something you've already said, but I just want to, I, I can't read the Bible without this. Um, smart people's thoughts. Like, we have access to a billion ideas right now on our phones. Um, Google the Scripture. Find a good commentary. Find good thoughts on these things. Um, read other versions. Uh, and then come back to your community with what you read and um, challenge it. Like, ask the question, is this right? Does this make sense? I read this thing. Uh, I don't know if it's accurate. But, but use resources. Use, use 2,000 years of intelligent thought to your advantage. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's beautiful. 2,000 years of intelligent thought. The mothers and fathers of the faith have done a lot of work for us. So friends, I love chatting with David Scambry. And in a moment, what we're going to encourage is not for you to do anything, but to turn to people in your living room and have a conversation yourself. In fact, we even, if you're by yourself in isolation or quarantine, we're going to throw a Zoom link up in a moment that you can actually join us for this conversation. Because here's the thing. We don't want you to stop talking about this stuff just because our service comes to an end, but allow this to take you deeper into chats and the conversation. As you prepare for that, we're just joining in as we declare the truths of God, singing worship together one last time. Let's do that together now. Sing it to the daughters, sing it to the sons, to every generation. Look at what the Lord has done and sing it to the darkness when the light has come. Sing it to the nations. Look at what the Lord has done. Sing it to the daughters. Oh, sing it to the sons. To every generation. Thanks so much for joining us for today. Uh, we've loved having you with us throughout this service. And we'd love you to let us know where you're joining us from in the chat. You know, right now, in a moment, we're going to pop some questions up on the screen that we'd love you know, to keep your TV on. Keep this screen on and start talking about it together in your homes. Don't let the conversation stop here right now. In fact, there's also going to be a Zoom link for those of you in quarantine isolation. We've got discussion groups and small groups ready to chat with you and process today. Hey, what does it look like for you to come under the authority of Scripture? I want to pause for a moment and just honor some people real fast. Everything we do to make church available, to make our new life service available online is done by an amazing host team, by amazing creatives who rock up every single week. And they're doing this because they believe in the power of God and the gathering of the people of God. So I know you can't really clap at home, but maybe you can jump in the chat. I just want to thank these guys that are hearing me say it all in this room, those who are serving online as well. And just say thank you to those who are dedicating their morning to make what we do possible here. But to all of you, we hope that you've been challenged and motivated, that the Word of God is for the people of God, that we might become like the Son of God, that God the Father inspired through the Holy Spirit this Word to be written by man, that we might know of how He's calling us into His story, 
that we might know the Son of God Himself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray you'd go this week to be blessing to the world, to scatter as we gather today. Hey, stick around, have a conversation with those in your room, and uh, may you be blessed. And we look forward to seeing you again real soon.